We're beginning, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, a new uh, the se- Christmas season, and with it a new a series, a Christmas series that I've titled uh, A New Hope. See that on the cover of your bulletin. But I was thinking and praying about this Sunday, really this series about a new hope. I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if there's been a harder time, at least in my uh, uh, ministry uh, time as a pastor, to be able to communicate to people in a believable way that, you know, the Christmas message is true. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men, right? It seems harder to, 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 to proclaim that, to try to uh, uh, make that believable to people uh, who don't know Christ in the world today than it perhaps has ever been. I was in a restaurant just yesterday morning and, uh, here in Pittsburgh just having breakfast with a friend of mine and I was sitting uh, in next to this, um, I was on, on the bench seat in this restaurant and, and, and this little kid was sitting next to me, probably seven years old, he was just at the table next to me. And he looked like he was doing a, um, like a homework assignment. And he was writing, and, and they sat down. His dad was across from him, and I was sort of half listening, uh, uh, but, but, you know, uh, talking to my friend. And the kid said, Dad, he said, uh, here's my question for you. And he said, uh, you, um, what would your future self say to your present self about you, right? And I thought, wow. I, I was talking to my friend. I thought, I want to know the answer to that question, right? <laughs> And I just glanced up, try not to be too obvious, and I just, just sort of glanced up at this guy, and he had the funniest scowl on his face. And it was just kind of, he didn't say anything for, for a couple of seconds, almost like, you know, I pay all this high pay tuition for this kind of a question, you know, like, what kind of a, and, he did all, and it, the only thing the dad said was, what do you want for breakfast, you know? And I think, you know, it, but it was a funny reminder of how for most people, maybe Christians too, we don't really want to think about the future, right? In any way at all. Don't even talk to me about the future because we're so overwhelmed with the present. I'd like to tell you guys today, I'd like to you know, bring some sunshine to our service and tell you that, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 that Matt Lauer is the last uh, 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 celebrity or person period that's going to be exposed for bad behavior, but I don't think he probably is. I'd like to tell you that that shooting in, in, in Sutherland, Texas, when someone came into a church service like this one and killed 26 people, it's the last time that's ever going to happen, but I don't, I, I can't say that it will be. I'd like to tell you that the, you know, intercontinental ballistic missile that was fired last week by uh, 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 the Korean, North Korean uh, uh, country will never happen again and one will never uh, uh, reach our shores, but I can't tell you that, right? The reality is the world is a dark place. Uh, They're shooting real bullets out there, so to speak. But, and I should say this, the Bible says, we'll get to this in a minute, that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Merry Christmas. (laughs) But here's the point. Here's the point. It's going to get better, okay? Now listen, not because I say so. Oh, take a deep breath, okay? Not because I so, because God says so. And not only is it because God says so, but the promises of God, we're gonna look at just one this morning, are rooted 
in the character of God, right? So when I say to you, listen, you know, when I say to Dave, I have lunch with Dave, I say, Dave, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there Tuesday at 12 o'clock. I'm going to meet you at that restaurant. That's my word. And I hopefully will be good on my word, but sometimes I may be late and not be good on my word, right? We are as good as our word. But let me tell you something. That's true with God. This isn't, it's not only because of what God says, but what God says, it's not cavalier. It doesn't just, God doesn't just throw things out there. It's based and rooted on his character. His character is at stake when he makes a promise and when he makes promises. What he said to this to Abraham was one of these times, and I think it's in Hebrews chapter six. It says, when God made this promise to Abraham, which by the way, we'll see this in a minute, is the basis for the whole purpose of calling Israel as a nation and the church as an as a organization to bring about the gospel for one purpose, that all the world might know the, uh, the message of God. And it says, when God swore by, made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, right? It sounds like you and I say, I promise you, on my mother's grave, Dave, I'll be there, kind of a thing. It says, when God wanted to make a promise to Abraham, because there was no one greater to swear upon, he looked around, the angels know they're lower than him. People are lower than him. Even the natural phenomenon lower than him. It says, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And he said, I will bless those who bless you, right? So I'm going to tell you this. It's going to get worse before it gets better, perhaps, but it is going to get better. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you this morning is this. It's not that you and I avoid reality, which certainly our culture does, whether it's bury their heads in materialism, bury their heads in pleasure, bury their heads in fake news, whatever the case may be. They bury their heads in whatever to not want to face reality. A lot of Christians do that too. But if we really want to be a light to the world, right, I want to encourage you to live in reality, right, but to be able to look past it and hold on to the promises of God. Because when we do that, when we place our hope, not in the things of this world, but in the promises of God, we can be in the face of darkness a light to those around us, a new hope. If you have a book, a Bible, I should have a book. If you have any book, open it, no. If you have the Bible... Uh, Micah chapter 4. And if you probably haven't been to the book of Micah, it's in the, one of those small prophets called the Minor Prophets near the end of your Old Testament. Go to Matthew, hang a left. Maybe that's the easiest way. Or if you've got a phone, turn it on. Micah chapter 4. We'll read a little, a few verses from chapter 4 and chapter 5. Let me just give you a very quick uh, uh, context. Micah. In this New Hope series, I want to look at two passages from the Old Testament, two from the New, to talk about the hope that we have, uh, God puts before us, that we can live by even in a dark world. Micah, although a very long uh, time ago, right, 700 years before the time of Jesus, in some ways, there's a lot of similarities to his time and ours. It was a very dark time. The people of God were, in many ways, morally bankrupt. And there was coming judgment. And most of the book of Micah is about the coming judgment that would come even in his lifetime. But in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, where we're going to read a few verses, there is an abrupt shift that only prophets can do, both in time and in tone, to the world, not that is, but that the world that is coming, right? Not to the world that is, but that to world that is coming. Let's read these verses, follow along. Micah 4, 1 through 5. Micah 5, 1 through 2. In the last days, after three chapters of judgment, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. 
It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream into it. Many nations will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, that is from, the, from, from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the names of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Chapter 5, verse 1. Marshal your troops now, city of troops. Micah the prophet speaking to the city of Jerusalem. For a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In one of the darkest times in his day, okay? As that's what chapter 5, verse 1 is, is the sound of taps. After this beautiful vision, right? Uh, he, he, he reminds them that the real kind, it's not pie in the sky, right? You should, if your pastor's pie in the sky, find a new one. I ought to be doing my best to encourage you to help you live in a dark world by taking hold of the promises of God so that we can face these things not on our own but with the power of God, with the promises of God and be a witness to the world around us. This is what Micah's doing. He's saying, listen, the taps are outside. The judgment is coming. I can't stop it. It would happen in his lifetime. But he says, listen, I want you to take hold of something, people. And it was true for us today as well. He wants to remind them, my first point, that a new world is coming, right? This is what Christmas is about, right? God could have done a lot of things. He came, as that video said, in a very unexpected way. Why did they miss it? Because most of the Jews in Jesus' day, they weren't looking for a baby in a manger. They were looking for a military leader. They were looking for the end of taxation. They were looking for the, the renewal of a political Israel, right? That's what they weren't. They, were, they weren't looking for what came. A new world is coming, right? What you see here in these verses, because see, you and I forget the promises of God all the time. You might hear a great sermon. You might read the word of God. You might have a great moment. And listen, before an hour goes by, a week goes by, your head is totally buried back in the reality around you. You and I are so captivated and held captive by the darkness around us, even us Christians, that, you know, we live independent of the great realities of God, right? That's what Mike is trying to say. He's bringing the future into the present to make a point. The new world is coming. And what you see in these verses, right, it's a, it's a poetic version of the Abrahamic promise. That's all it is. What do he say to Abraham, Right? When God could not to, uh, uh, swear by anyone, he swore by himself, and he said to Abraham, a nobody who was 90 years old who could never have kids, that out of you I'm going to build a big nation, and through you, through you, Abraham. It's a purpose statement. 
What it means to be the people of God, Old Testament, New, is to have purpose. And that purpose is to bring the light of God's truth and love to those who don't know it. He says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what you'll see, although Israel was imperfect in its execution, and the church, we're called to the same mission, to bring the message to the world through our lives and through the church. Although we are imperfect in our execution, the day will come when all nations, right? The mountain of the Lord, of the temple of the Lord will be established. Worship will be experienced. Many nations will come, not just Jews, all nations. They will come to and stream into Jerusalem, right? And it's, it's not the end of, of cultural distinctions. The, new, the, the book of Revelation says every tribe, every nation, every tongue, God, in, God instituted culture for a purpose, but today, where culture becomes a, con a reason for conflict because your skin color is different, because your language is different, because your values seem to be, it's a, it's a reason for conflict, not then. The cultures will come in, they will stream in together, and nationalism will no longer stand in the way, and people will come to stream into. and then it says this, come let us go. There's a desire not only to know the ways of God, he will teach us his ways, but to walk in them. I read this as a, a, an a definition of true knowledge. It's grasping truths that issue in a redirection of life, right? They not only want to know the ways of God, but they will walk in them, right? And what does it say here about war, right? You know, it, it's hard for us to even imagine the day will come when the means of war, the swords, the practice of war, they will pick up swords. The mentality of war, they will train for no, for war, will disappear totally, right? They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What you see is a, is a prosperity. Everyone will sit under their own vine. It's a sense of prosperity. And they will no longer be afraid. Every nation, every tongue. What's the point? Here's the point. This is what Mike is trying to say, what I'm trying to say to you. The world as it is, broken, exhausted, in turmoil is not in its final form, right? Just like you, broken, exhausted, uh, in turmoil, are not in your final form either. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is. A new world is coming. Second point, but here's what this beautiful prophecy says. Jesus is the beginning, right? It's already started. That's what Micah says, chapter five. He goes back, he shifts, it's poetry. Some of us have a hard time reading the prophets because it's poetry. They shift from, from past to present to future. It's nonlinear, and it takes a little more work to read the prophets, but it brings forth great beauty if you got the eyes to see it, right? He goes from the beautiful vision of the future, then he goes right back, starkly, marshal your troops, a siege is laid against us. The judgment is coming, but look at verse two. Verse two of Micah chapter five, right? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, right? He looks to this very small little town. Even today, Bethlehem is small. But in the days of Micah, it is where Jesus was born. It is where David was from. We know it's a very important time. But Bethlehem was so small 
I don't know what would be an equivalent, so small that the great historian Josephus, who wrote about the, all the great, uh, the, the era of the times of Jesus, he doesn't even mention Bethlehem in his history of Palestine because it was, it, was like, it, like it was too small of a neighborhood to mention. But you, Bethlehem, right? This is God's signature. This is the gospel. This little, small, know-nothing town out of you from the clans of Judah who lived in Bethlehem, right? Out of you will come a ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's a prophecy. And 700 years later, right? Remember what I said? It's not because of what I say. It's because of what God says. And those promises of God are rooted in the character of God. So in this prophecy, this is a messianic prophecy. How do I know that? Turn to Matthew chapter 2, okay? 700 years later, this little prophecy, when the wise men, these Persian wise men, who, by the way, were not Jewish, isn't the gospel amazing? The first people to recognize the baby of Jesus, remember the nations will stream, they weren't Jewish people. The religious leaders said, we don't want nothing to do with them. The powers that be Herod said, let's kill that Christ child. But these two, three, four Persian men, these, these wise men, they said, we want to find out about the promise of the, of the Messiah. And these wise men come, and Herod hears about it. You know, it's one of the great Christmas stories. He hears about it, and it makes him very jealous and very nervous. And he calls the great priests, the people who ought to know better, the pastors, and he says, tell me a little bit in a pretext about the Messiah. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, right, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was jealous. He was envious. He was worried. And all Jerusalem with him. Right? There were some believers in Jerusalem. There was some pope. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, the experts, right? He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They said this, listen, in Bethlehem. And he said, right over there, right, from where they were standing. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what was written, what the, I'm sorry, for this is what the prophet has written. I, Micah chapter five, but you, Little old Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Guys, listen. But you, this is the gospel message. This is the heart of the gospel. But you, O Bethlehem, right? The whole gospel is found in those two words. Why did God choose Abraham, a guy who was 90 years old, to start a family? Why did he choose David, the son that nobody even was even called? Why did he choose Hannah, who's barren? Why does he choose Rebecca, who's barren? Why does he choose Mary and Joseph? Listen, why does he choose you and choose me? But you, O Bethlehem. But you, O Dave. But you, O Patty. But you, O me. This is the gospel, right? Keith, this is the gospel, right? God puts his favor on you that don't deserve it, that don't expect it. He says, listen, if you're willing to believe in me, if you're willing to believe in the promises of God, that God sent his son into the world, yes, in a very humble way, in a manger in Bethlehem, he sent him, why? 
because the real problem is not taxation. The real problem is not even economic uh, uh, unevenness. The real problem is the sin in the war that goes on in our own hearts. And unless that problem can be solved, which Jesus did on the cross, there's no hope for anybody but you, but you, but you, right? And the, big, the message is this. As Christians today, living in a dark world, in a world of, of, of one scandal after another, in a world after one horrible tragedy after another, in a world full of war, where not only wars take place, but people are training for war and executing war right now, today, all around the world, in a world that's in conflict. The new world comes to life in the people of God uh, through you and through me. And as you and I, see, Jesus is the beginning. God wants to change the world through you and through me. I didn't print these verses, but listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1 says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us, that's Christians, to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He's saying, listen, the world, the new world is coming, but it comes right now, today, in you and in me, as I come to the promises of God. Oh, you, oh, you Bethlehem. Right? Little old Bethlehem, Ephrata, you are small. I come to the promises of God and I say yes to the promises of God. The loving Christ comes in me and comes in you and we begin to bring the new world and new hope to those around us, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the amazing thing. Christmas is a time not only to be reminded that a new world is coming, but that it has already come in the person of the Holy Spirit. The new world comes when you and I say yes to the promises of God one day at a time, right? A new world is coming. Jesus is the beginning. Lastly, we are called to live in light of the new world. Back to Micah. See, Micah's a realist, right? He gives this great vision. The, the, the mountain of the Lord will be established. The nations will come. They'll be hungry. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, they're going to throw aside their false gods. They're going to keep their culture, and they're going to come and worship the God Almighty. Teach us your ways that we may walk in your paths. They'll lay down their swords. They'll lay down their machine guns. They'll lay down their... They, and, they will, and they will worship the God Almighty, and then the word of God will go out from Zion, and everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. There will be peace and their security a new world is coming, but it's not here yet, right? Back to the marshalling your troops, but it comes in us. And look what, look what uh, verse five, chapter four, verse five. He makes a declaration, see? He's a realist. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. He says, listen, the new world's not here yet, and all the other nations are going to walk in the name of their gods. It means that they're going to give allegiance, whether their gods are wood or stone or Assyrian or Babylon or whether their gods are materialism, their career, their ego, their pride, their nationalism of one kind, their ideology of one kind, whatever they may be, like in our own day, we live in a world where people march to the beat into the name of their own gods, maybe science, whatever the case may be. But Nehemiah says, listen, or excuse me, uh, Micah says, listen, we will walk 
in the name of the Lord our God. We will give allegiance to God. That's what you and I are called to do, right? Every single day. You do it one day at a time. Those Christmas is an opportunity to remind you that the new world is coming to, 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 into your life. How does it come? You have to say yes to the promises of God. When we say amen, the Holy Spirit burns a little bit brighter in your life and in my life. Do you know the promises of God and are you saying yes to them? Just this past week, uh, I, don't, I don't remember what day, it was Monday or Tuesday, um, uh, early, a little before seven, I just looked out my, my back window and I saw this scene, right? And it was this picture of um, uh, the, the, my backyard and it was just these, the, the strangest look you know, uh, it was these trees in my backyard, and it was almost, it was, you know, not quite dawn, and there was this, this red that was showing. And I just, it was just so odd. Not that I'd ever seen it before, but I thought to myself, immediately as I just sat there, this idea came to my mind, this scripture. If you remember, Jesus, I think it's in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And he says to those people, the religious leaders, the same ones who said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, to Herod, and they, he said, listen, they were having a hard time believing in Jesus. Because, why were, because they were so focused on simply the natural realities in front of them, they couldn't break free to see the supernatural realities beyond them. And he said, Jesus said, listen, when the sky is red in the morning, you guys are smart enough to know that it's, the weather's going to be such and such. He says, you can interpret the, 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 the skies, you can look in the natural world, and you can look at the newspaper, you can, you know, can, you can predict what's going to happen in the natural world around you, but you're absolutely blind to the supernatural realities right in front of you, right? And as I was just thought about this, this just came to my mind, I just sat there on the edge of my bed or in a chair in my room, and I began to think about the darkness in the world. And I said, God, you know, the, the world is a dark place. You know, you know, whether it's, you know, what you mean, you don't have to think very hard. And I even went from the, the, the darkness of the world to acknowledging the darkness in my own life, right? And ask God to heal me, forgive me. But then I went from that to begin to thank God for the many blessings he's brought in my life and the ways in which the world, the new world is coming alive in my life every single day. And out of gratitude, I began to pray and see what we're called to do, to walk in the name of our God by saying yes. And when we do that, we have, we, the light shines brighter in us and we help others who are in the dark come to know him. That's what this is. It's an affirmation, right? Before we, we prepare to take this table, let me just share one verse with you. This is our charge, 2 Corinthians. Nice parallel to the Micah verse. It's chapter 5, verse 17. The, 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 the Corinthian church says, now that I'm a Christian, so now what? He says, let me answer the question to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does that mean? It just means if you're someone who as God's creation born into this world, but you don't know God as your Lord and Savior Jesus. You have never received the forgiveness of Christ as your own, uh, for the forgiveness of your sin. When you do that, when you place your trust, true faith, heart, trust in the work of Jesus, you become a Christian. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's all it means. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation, watch this, is coming. 
No, it has come, right? It has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And this is from God. Say, it's not from me. It's not from your pastor. It's not from your mother. It's from God who reconciled us to himself. He did it through Christ. And watch this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Go be a light to the world around you. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Wow, who doesn't want to hear that message? I don't know a single person in my neighborhood, a single person in my school students, a single relative, friend, brother doesn't want to know the message that God does not want to count your sins against you. He counts them against Christ. He became sin for us, and we'll get to that right now, right? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though, as though God was making his appeal through us. This is what we're called to do. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, O Bethlehem, smallest of all tribes, out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd to my people. God made him who had no sin to be sin, that is to be judged for sin for us, so that, to circle that, in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the gospel, this is what Christmas is about. It's about God sending his son into the world and then sending his, the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we say yes to the promises of God. We say yes to one promise after another and the Holy Spirit burns brighter in us. Amen?